It's Thursday, July 1st, 2010, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is David Osmond for Radio Free Oz, and I'm backstage just uh, off the main set of Afghan Gladiator. That's that hot new TV show that gives returning vets from AFPAC a chance to go back for another tour of counterinsurgency. Exciting show, and here's the winner of tonight's contest, the former National Guardsman who already revolved through eight tours over there. It's PTSD First Class Crystal McStanley. Well, tell us something about yourself, Chris. Uh, yes, sir. Well, um, I joined the Marines when I was 18 for on-the-job training, and it sure was because, uh, like, uh, three days later, I was at AFPAC. Oh, really? I want to go back, but they said I'm too used up, so I guess I showed them up. Well, I guess you did. Well, Ed, you, you must have brought home some souvenirs or something from your last tour, right? Yeah, PTSD, night sweats, the crabs, and I used to be a woman, but the Army took care of that last time I, I looked. Oh, really? Well, that's sad, yet there's something comfortably ironic about about that, too, Chris. But tell us all about the Afghan Gladiator Challenge. Well, sure, sir. First, there's the uh, pop-up firefights. Uh-huh. I get five points for every turban, and, and I lose five for every CD. That's collateral, collateral damage. damage. I ended up just, just over even. Uh-huh. Then there's the uh, IED swamp thing. I had to drain the swamp and replace it with a girl's school uh-huh. without blowing anybody up. Right. Nation building. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And then comes Bribe the Warlord stuff, right. you know. Right. It's uh-huh. tee up or get terminated on the Kabul to freaking nowhere highway. Cost me an arm and a leg. Oh, really? Glad it wasn't mine. Uh, well, me too. Say, you survived those first three t- challenges, and, and but 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 how did the big show end up? It ended up, man, in the poppy field. You know, you have to dream your way out of it. Really? It's kind of like the war itself, huh? Well, tell me, how, how'd you do it? Well, I use my big jar here of Fratricade. It's, it's a meth-enhanced electrolyte replacement system, and it keeps me up all day. Because, yeah. see, over there, they, they, they own the day uh, and the night. It really doesn't matter. Well, uh, so wait, you you won something, though, besides the, the tour to go back. Yeah, right? I get this case of Bud Light Lime. It's enough to get the general from Paris to Berlin in my new Hummer. The Army gave you a Hummer? And just the down payment, but it's got robusted air conditioning and skin seats. Well, so tough. that's your job. It's not not a tough one. You're just driving the general. Isn't no, it, huh? sir. Our orders are to clear hold and forget about it. Well, but what about winning the war? There's no winning, sir. It's uh, uh, just survival. Well, PTSD, First Class Crystal McSamley, that's just what you've done on Afghan Gladiator today. So from me to you, good luck on your way back to Stan. Thanks, sir. By the way, all those countries over there are called Stan something. What does that mean? Did they tell you what that means? Yeah, sir, Stan is Muslim for pain. Afghani pain, Uzbekis pain, Paki pain, Missouri pain. <laughs> well, no pain, no gain. Yeah, well, lots of one and uh, none of the other. But, it, but it's a good war, sir. Uh-huh. I already signed up my unborn children to... Go over there and forget what I'm going to go over and uh, clear and hold. Well, it sounds like you've got it all under control, uh, Stan. And and, and this is uh, David Osmond for Radio Free Oz here at the Bob Hope Studios in Burbank, California. Okay, Radio Free Oz. Once again, here we go. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, our co-host, David Osmond. Hi there, Pete. You know, that that music behind us makes me feel lustful in my heart. What was it Jimmy Carter said? Lust in his heart. Lust in his heart. People just didn't understand the man. He was just, he was too too Baptist for this country. Yeah, you know, and not not so conservative, just... Just Baptist, just kind of one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. right. And one was enough. Yeah, I guess so. Well, didn't get didn't reelected anyway. You know, I got something on fears for you. You know, everybody's afraid of something. That's the way the country works these days. Right. Fear them up. Fear them up. Right. Well, they took a um, uh, uh, one of those surveys in the, in England yeah. as to what the top. Uh, Phobia. Fears, phobias were in in England, and yeah. here's the top three, Pete. See what you think. Uh, number one was spiders. Really? Yep. Number wow. one, no uh, spiders. Number two was needles. Uh huh. And I don't mean needles, California. Either. No, you ne- don't. Ne- spiders and needles. Okay, okay, put those together. Okay, here's number three. Yeah. Clowns. Oh, clown phobia is always in the top ten. Doesn't surprise me. In America, it's not spiders. The number one phobia is talking in front of a group of strangers. It comes in first over drowning, burning to death and falling off a building. That's absolutely true. 
You know, that's just just where Americans are at. They would rather burn to death than stand up and talk to a group of strangers. Well, not us, Pete, because that's what we're doing right now. My fear is standing up and talking to a group of spiders that have needles and look like clowns. But I'm a complicated kind of guy. Talking about complications, let me give you just briefly the background on this whole, you know, McChrystal's gone. Hey, McChrystal's Mm -hmm. gone. One more round. Broke the McChrystal ceiling. Yes, he did. And they replaced him with David Petraeus, who fainted when he heard that he'd been replaced. And there's that picture of him, you know, appearing with Biden and Obama. He's being propped up from behind. Uh He's actually out cold and his eyes have been... Maybe it's just one of those cutouts that they have. Could could be. Well, you know, nothing, no, no way to, no better way to keep your uniform clean and without creasing than just be a cutout. Okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Uniforms. All right. So All right. why, what is it that prompted McChrystal to get into the kind of space where he could give that kind of interview? And you know, when Rolling Stone called him and said, oh, here are the quotes, yada, yada, he said, okay, yeah, okay. It's like, you know, mass suicide. So it turns out that the Rolling Stone guy was to have an interview with him in Paris. Uh uh, on the plane to Berlin, he was going to like take this trip, and you know, it turned out because the volcano erupted, you know, the Iceland volcano uh, yeah, yeah. erupted, they had to take a bus, no plane, a bus from Paris to Berlin, and they brought along cases of Bud Light Lime, which is McChrystal's drink of choice. And the reporter says they drank the entire journey, everybody on board, and he became looser and looser and looser, and that's when he began to let it flow, just like any other drunken soldier. Well, you know, why? it may be that he wanted to get out of this job in Afghanistan. Yeah. And the best way to do that was to get drunk and mouth off to a to a, a Rolling Stone guy. Rolling he, Stone. He must have known what he was. Hasn't he ever? No, probably hasn't read Rolling Stone. Gee, that's um. They ought to institute that at West Point. The the Rolling Stone you know, awareness awareness class. class. Yeah. yeah. Don't get yourself on the cover of Rolling Stone. My man, Carl Levin, senator from Michigan, and Jeff Merkley, Democrat of Oregon, are the principal authors of legislation to strictly limit banks and other financial firms to to make speculative trades with their profits. Sounds like common sense to me. I mean, you know, we used to go down to Mr. Brown at the bank. You didn't expect him to be in, in the back trading naked derivative credit swaps, you know, while he was shooting himself up with Afghani White. The idea originated, this idea of keeping the banks from making speculative deals with their profits, it originated with former uh, Fed chair and the Obama economic advisor, Paul Volcker, this guy, he's about six foot nine, who strongly backs the Levin Merkley proposal. But they're fighting Wall Street and an array of Democrats negotiating the final bill who want to include a loophole, right? A potentially devastating loophole that would allow these banks to invest in high-risk hedge funds. It's insanity. Aides and members insist it's not just banks pushing for the exemption. They claim that political math in the Senate has given Senator Scott Brown, you know, he's the Republican that got elected in Massachusetts, who supports the loophole, gives him veto power over the entire reform bill. Brown was the 60th vote for the Senate's legislation and has threatened to bolt if the loophole isn't included. Brown's defection would rob Democrats of the supermajority they need to break a filibuster. That's if the if the Republicans really want to filibuster over Wall Street reform at this time with the way that the populace feels about Wall Street reform. It's just part and parcel of the GOP self-destructing in front of our eyes. I mean, you know, Senator Sessions, our man from Alabama, who said, well, I don't think I'm even going to attend the Kagan hearings. Now, he's the ranking minority member on the Judiciary Committee because there's another 1,300 pages of, uh, of stuff from the Clinton White House that they won't release. Yeah, because of... Uh, confidentiality. He has gotten 17,000 other pages on what she's done and what she said. But this is all part of the NOP destroying themselves in front of our eyes, you know. So, okay. So Levin says, on the other hand, he doubts Brown is the new decider. He says, I assume there's going to be some other Republicans that will vote for a a conference report on financial reform. He assumes that. That may be a difficult assumption. This is the first group of, of opposing politicians that have voted 
in a block, 100%, no, almost all the time. But Levin says, it's hard for me to believe that in this setting, that there's not going to be some Republicans, at least, that will vote for reform of Wall Street. If that's true, it means that one person, one Republican, i.e. Brown, is not going to be able to have that kind of impact. And in a bid to limit Brown's leverage, pro-reform groups are pressuring Russ Feingold, who cast a protest vote against financial reform from the left to support the final legislation. They want him to support it if a strong Volcker rule is included in the conference report. And there's every reason to believe that Russ will do that because the, the Volcker rule really is, I mean, that's the line in the sand, okay? It's a line that we have to cross. Sometimes I wonder why I pay attention to all these wingnuts, the Sarah Palins and the Orrin Hatches and, and in this case, the Mike Huckabees. It's because they're so ridiculous. I can't pass it by. It's, it's one of the few chuckles, so to speak, you get in this world of, of, of social analysis. So, so you've got a Huckabee. I got a Huckabee. I'm okay. going to have to have it taken off by a doctor, I suppose. <laughs> hey, Doc, look, I got a Huckabee. Gay groups are lashing out at former Arkansas GOP Governor Mike Huckabee for saying in a recent interview, and he, oh, you know, this is the guy that everybody thinks is, you know, he's conservative, but he's really smart, and he plays rock and roll, and he's got a sense of humor. He's, he's okay. He's not okay. All right. They're, they're after him because he said in a recent interview that he doesn't support gay marriage in part because of the ick factor. Ooh. Ooh. He said, I do believe that God created male and female, and... and he, he believes that God created male and female. This guy's going way out on the edge. Yeah, here. that's that's very... And intended for marriage to be the relationship of two opposite sexes. This is what he said in explaining uh-huh. his views on gay marriage. Male and female are biologically compatible to have a relationship. We can get into the ick factor, but the fact is two men in a relationship, two women in a relationship, biologically ick, that doesn't work the same. It doesn't work to say. Now, well, let's just go back to Genesis. I just read R. Crumb's version of Genesis, so I'm well, well into it. I don't believe at any point a god said, and get married. No. When they were expelled from paradise, well, right, he, Adam and Eve? Huh? He gave them equipment that fits. We don't, we're don't. we not arguing that, but it's, you know, it's not the only way to fit, and it's really none of his business. Gods? There's, no, Huckabees. And there's a big difference between God and Huckabee, and part of it is compassion and keeping his mouth shut. God rarely talks about gay marriage. You know, only men, none of that happens. None of that that stuff happens, no. All right, Huckabee later joked in the profile that, the only thing worse than a torrid affair with sweet, sweet Nancy Pelosi would be a torrid affair with Helen Thomas. He's doing some serious thinking. Yeah, this he's, is, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. thinking about banging Nancy Pelosi and Helen Thomas and what's it like for two men and two women who don't have the right equipment to do icky things. If, if he said, if those were my only two options, Pelosi and Thomas, I, I, I'd probably be for same-sex marriage. Asked about the former governor's comments, human rights campaign vice president Fred Sane said Huckabee's statements came as no surprise from a man who is consistently wrong and uninformed. Uh Ick is being fired from a job, being the victim of a hate crime, or being bullied at school simply because you are a lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, Sane said. And Ick is certainly an appropriate way to describe Mr. Huckabee's mind going to sex when all that we are asking for is equality. Ick indeed. Well, Ick, well, this, now, what this, I, I got a picture here. He's willing to engage, yes, in 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 homosexuality, if his only choice in in non homosexuality is an eighty nine year old woman or his mortal enemy in the Senate. Yeah, who is who busts his balls and I think probably shrivels them in in, in the process. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, he's really close then. I really, Come on. really, close. I mean, he's right on the edge. Any volunteers? Well, here's the thing. I believe that this is another example of that obsession with homosexual love, which. What lies behind the ick, right? If we could only look into his mind and check for tumescence. Wait a minute. minute. Checking Mike Huckabee for tumescence for a woody ick. 
This is David Osmond for Radio Free Oz, and I'm here at Orly Airport, just outside Paris, uh, and I'm talking again with the world-famous designer Yves Saint-Stoul. <laughs> He's just about to travel to Abu Dhabi with a new line of collegiate fashions. Uh, Yves, what is behind all this? What's the reason? Well, David, that petite sandbox of Midi's culture has imported a famous American university, NYU, and mm. I've realized the fashion statement for the new collegians, brings the culture of the Big Apple right to the dry date. That's what they're calling the new desert campus. Aha, uh-huh, the dry date campus of NYU. Well, what, what, what kind of clothes have you got? Well, for the co-ed girls, the burqa bikini, or uh-huh. the burkini, as they call it. Burkini. It, it, it covers uh, what Abu Dhabians say are the most lustful parts of the body, the eyes, the lips, the hair, with the black drapes. Oh, well, yes, but what about the, the breasts and the, you know, the pubic area? Uh, in Abu Dhabi, those, those body parts do not exist. Ah. You see, the emir has declared the bra to be un-Islamic. So first I burned the bra like Judith Chicago, mm-hmm. and then I banned the bra, mm-hmm. and I finally abandoned the bra and designed with my Chinese partner, Wu Wei, the abandoned bra, true weightless fashion. Weightless, I see. And you certainly will. <laughs> well, but now, what, what have you got for the men? I've designed the turbo turban. You know, the Abu Dhabians like to race their platinum-plated Audubon Mercedes top-down around the dunes, so with the turbo turban, you are guaranteed to keep your head and make a fashion statement on the test. <laughs> Same time. Well, and your famous footwear. Ah, for men and women, a special line of purity shoes. Very purity. big over there. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. They contain no mirrors mm-hmm. for looking up the burqa. Uh-huh. And they have not even one page of any holy book inside. Mm-hmm. And the heels are filled with hot sand for comfort and running away from terrorist activities. Oh, and what about sunglasses? I know that's a big line of yours. Certainment. Yeah. I have designed for women the garbo bands, the iconic eye coverings of solid gold that are completely opaque when they are looked at by men. And for the men? Huzoramic aviators. Look at these. They look so cool all the time. And they look good with any kind of mustache. Oh, yeah. Oh, they look very nice with mine, I, I have to say. I look positively Middle Eastern. Well, what's your advice uh, to new students there at Abu Yu? Well, they should bring their London fog along because the average daily temperature is a lucky 108. Mm-hmm. Well, I must go on as the Royal Abu Dhabi Airlines as a special flight for my models and me. I, I suppose uh, they're all students. Of eh? course. NYU features uh, degrees in gold and oil management, anti-democratic law, and abstract art history. Who knows, with a diploma from Abu Dhabi, you might become I'm a minister of culture. A minister of culture? Is that a religious degree? It is now. <laughs> well, this is David Osmond for Radio Free Oz. I'm here at Orly Airport in Paris. Well, so there you have it, Pete. It looks like uh, NYU is off to the Middle East, off to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, well, there could be some social issues. I mean, social it, issues. It may not be. A, the, the classrooms may be cool. They've got the what they call the They Abu have Dhabi. to be cool. It's 108 there. I, they yeah. have the Abu Dhabi Louvre. The Guggenheim is going there. I mean, they're spending zillions of dollars, and, 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 and you know, Americans are going there to study with others. But, well, close by, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Okay, judicial officials say a Saudi court has convicted four women and 11 men for mingling at a party and sentenced them to flogging and prison terms. The men, who are between 30 and 40, and three of the women, who are under the age of 30, were sentenced to an unspecified number of lashes and one to two-year prison terms each. The fourth woman, a minor, was sentenced to 80 lashes and was not sent to prison. The ruling was handed down at a court in the northern town of Ha'il, the, I, I can't pronounce it, all those glottal stops. Yep. The officials say the police saw the group partying until dawn last month. That's not the regular police. Those are the social police. Those well, are no, the police, I, aren't they? That's, no, no, that's in Iran. Got you got guys? the social police. No, in, in Saudi Arabia, it's just the regular No, they police. come around there, too. There's women in, totally burkered up, and they come uh, and, and bust you if you, you know, you're showing your toes. The, they, she got 80 lashes. 80 the, lashes. The, the minor for partying. So if you're going to be going to NYU Abu Dhabi Dhabi Dhabi, just cool it, man. Just be real no careful. No partying down. No partying down at the universe. That's going to be tough for those. They've really got a book book learning, yeah. noses inside their books. They can't uh, can't go and have a have a, 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 a beer bud, or two. bud Light next no, door. And, no, no blackout drinking. What, what's college without blackout drinking?
The government's your friend, you see That's what I have to say, how they will bury me Don't you try to criticize And don't you ever try to talk about their lies I don't know what you've been told But last time I checked we had the right to say the things we mean And disagree and not have to face the guillotine But if it's your head in the basket Then you just pick the wrong side of the revolution Patriot Act is the riot act with a PAT. What the really means is that they're watching you and that they're really watching me. And anyone who disagrees is sure to lose their liberties. A patriot has got to keep his mouth shut. But if it's your head in the basket, then you just pick the wrong side of the revolution. King and his army wing, they are hell-bent on the conquest Our enemies on bended knees, they're gonna see it always soon Because the freedom that they steal from us, they try to export overseas And now our former enemies are free to live a life of tyranny the same as you or me And it's a crime to speak your mind And it's a crime If you heard that plate is gonna Never made a contribution to the revolutionary man It's a crime To speak your mind And it's a crime oh, Don't say the word Cause if you heard that blade is gonna fall You know, it's said that the immensity of the tragedy in the Gulf has basically diverted our attention from the debacle in Afghanistan. And that's probably true. It's, but it's very difficult for us to understand what's going on over there because it really is over there. It's very different. It's very distant. And it's really hard to figure out because there no, there's no one single front. It's not like, you know, following the GIs across Europe. It's, it's diffuse and it's unpredictable. Uh, you know, McChrystal, the, our, our former, you know, former head there who had to like step down, he was a real uh, straight talker from time to time. He's the one that called Afghanistan a bleeding ulcer. Well, it's an ulcer. 
that we're paying for. American taxpayers, this is from the gray lady, have inadvertently created a network of warlords across Afghanistan who are making millions of dollars escorting NATO convoys and operating outside the control of either the Afghan government or the American and NATO uh, militaries. This is according to the results of a recent congressional investigation. The investigation, which was begun last year by the House Subcommittee for National Security, found that money given to these Afghan warlords often amounts to little more than mafia-style protection payments, with some NATO convoys that refuse to pay the warlords coming under attack. The subcommittee also uncovered evidence suggesting that American taxpayer money is making its way to the Taliban. My, oh my. Several trucking company supervisors told investigators that they believed the gunmen they hired to escort their convoys bribed the Taliban not to attack. The warlords, who were paid with American money, the investigator said, are undermining the legitimate Afghan government, and American soldiers and Marines are struggling to build a government that they are tearing down, and will most likely threaten the government long after the Americans and NATO leave. So yeah, we're not going to win. Yeah, we're going to leave, and we're going to leave it in the hands of warlords, warlords that we have been supporting. The source of the taxpayer money is a $2.1 billion contract called Host Nation Trucking, which pays for the movement of food and supplies to some 200 American bases across this arid, mountainous country, which in many places has no paved roads. Nation building with no roads. The uh, 79-page report from Congress uh, entitled Warlord Inc., I like that. I mean, that's right. That's right off of 60 Minutes. Paints an anarchic picture of contemporary Afghanistan with the country's major highways being controlled by groups of freelance gunmen who answer to no one and who are being paid for by the United States. Afghanistan, the investigation found, plays host to hundreds of unregistered private security companies employing as many as 70,000 largely unsupervised gunmen. So I was wrong. I said there was only poppies and rugs in Afghanistan. There was only like two jobs. Wrong. Poppies, rugs, and being an unsupervised gunman. Join your 70,000 other bros. The warlords, they say, thrive in a vacuum of government authority, and their interests are in fundamental conflict with U.S. aims to build a strong Afghan government, the report said. You know, that's what we do. We really believe that we can export democracy. It's naive, it's idealistic, and it's become uh, totally counterproductive. We really believe that all we have to do is show up in these uniforms with all this McDonald's and all of these drones and all of these weapons and these nice Marine girls who want to go in and talk to the women hidden in burqas, and somehow they're all going to become middle-class Americans and live like all the folks in Colorado Springs or Toledo, Ohio. Well, you know, I mean, other people's cultures are not a failed attempt to be you. Long after the United States leaves Afghanistan, says the report, and the convoy security business shuts down, these warlords will likely continue to play a major role as autonomous centers of political, economic, and military power, the report said. Well, the report detailed episodes when trucking companies that refused to pay warlords to escort their trucks were attacked by the same men. A trucking company executive who refused to pay a Mr. Ruhula told investigators that his trucks were attacked by Mr. Rahula's fighters, one or two or 10 or 20 of the 70,000 Rahula-like hoodlums. His name should be Ruhudlam. Mr. Ruhudlam, the executive said, is willing to ruthlessly exploit the lack of military control along the routes on which he operates. Yeah, we're going to leave and it's going to be a bunch of warlords. That's what it was before we got there. Well, you know, during this whole immigration thing, one of the things we've all been saying is, well, okay, it's not really the immigrants, right? It's the employers that give them the jobs that make this all possible. No jobs. Nobody's going to come over here uh, to not earn money. They can do that by staying home. So now residents of a small Nebraska town, it's called Fremont, 
have passed a controversial law aimed at ridding the town of illegal immigrants, despite warnings that it could mean higher taxes and cuts in city services. So they're ready to sacrifice. Wait a minute. Now, how could getting rid of illegal immigrants lead to cutting services? The ordinance, which passed by 57 to 43, would fine landlords and employers in Fremont who house or hire illegal immigrants. So Mm -hmm. that's the deal, right? Uh, Okay. Officials in the town of 25,000 just west of Omaha, isn't everything west of Omaha, say it would cost up to $200,000 a year to enforce the law and up to a million to fight expected legal challenges. You've got to take a step, said Jerry Hart. These people are eloquent. You've got to take a step, said Jerry Hart, a leader of the petition drive to put the ordinance on the ballot. Hispanics make up about 8% of the town's population compared to about 4% in 2000. So they've doubled. Uh-huh. The newspaper they're now said, visible. That yeah, they're, yeah, they're visible. Yeah. yeah, they're brown. The newspaper says immigrants drawn largely by jobs at meatpacking plants just outside the city limits account for about 85% of the town's growth this decade. So nobody's coming, nobody's leaving, except the immigrants are coming into work on those awful, you know, Upton Sinclair-like, you know, uh, working conditions in those meatpacking plants. Even if they keep it scrubbed, it's pretty gruesome. Oh, it is. So now uh, you're going to, landlords can't rent to them and nobody can hire them. So they've got to have to go back, back to Mexico. No, they aren't going to go back to Mexico. This is where these people are really wrong. How come? Well, because... America is a land of immigrants, okay? I've heard a lot of people say that, uh, uh, you know, on the left, I've heard the the phrase uh, that there is no such thing as an illegal, that everybody's legal, all people are legal. The only reason they're illegal is because, what, they... They didn't get their passport stamped at the border. Is that that the they difference? They don't even have a passport. They so don't. They, they have didn't even a get their hand stamped. Nothing. At the border. They can't go back because they didn't get their hand stamped. That's right. Well, because it's you know once out, they can't come back into the rock concert called America because so, no stamp. I, I'm I'm not familiar with the the wilds of where was it Nebraska? Yeah. I'm not I'm not familiar. You know with the, there are the no meat, wilds. Meat, it's, it's one long plane, flat thing yeah. with meatpacking plants. Yeah, on it. and our webmaster. But I do know what. What it looks like at the top of, let's say, Mulholland Drive and Coldwater Canyon. Yeah. There's a taqueria truck up there, and there's about 200 guys from south of the border who are cleaning everybody's houses, making everybody's hibiscuses look gorgeous, making all that grass just the perfect green and the perfect short. Are these people illegal? Am I supposed to check with this guy that I'm going to hire to to fix my rose bushes, am I going to? Is it is it interesting to me, or is it important to me, or or is it some sort of national emergency that I'm going to say, Pedro? Well, here's where's the, your green card. Well, that would be legitimate if there were a lot of Shawns and Jasons standing. They're also looking for the job, but they ain't there because culturally they're not supported to do this kind of work. There is no television shows, you know, with guys named Sean and Jason and whatever they're and, and and the Tiffany's and Beverly's doing scut work. They're all, you know, uh, running around with. Tons of disposable income with no no visible source. Or of, they of just employment. they just don't want a job, you know, mowing your lawn. If at first you don't succeed, try try again. Hours after that New Orleans judge struck down the Obama administration's moratorium on offshore drilling, Interior Secretary Ken Salazar announced that he will issue a new order reinstating the temporary ban. Salazar said in a statement that the new order will make clear why a six-month moratorium is essential and include additional evidence that safety conditions are inadequate in deep water wells. That could have been a 60-year moratorium and not be a problem. Quote, based on this ever-growing evidence, he said, I will issue a new order in the coming days that eliminates any doubt that a moratorium is needed, appropriate, and within our authorities. Earlier, federal judge Marty Feldman said the Interior Department failed to justify the moratorium and that the failure of one rig does not mean all rigs are dangerous. So he ruled that the moratorium was out the door. We've learned later that Judge Marty, at least in 2008 and probably now, has a wide portfolio of stocks directly related to deep water drilling. Oh, Marty.
Hi, neighbors. I'm Edgar Allan Poe, manager of Bird of Prey Motors, and where you can follow the feathers under the sign of the black bird. If you've been turned down before, never more. Yes, <laughs> that's right, Nick. Yes, that's my bird, Nick, and I guess I know a bird when I see one. Look, even if you've been killed in an auto accident and can't get your driver's license back from the police, we'll help you. Well, you know, usually it takes a lawyer to help a doctor to cure a policeman. Never more. But if it's action you want, well... We're all actors here. And here. And here. At all the Bird of Prey garages in Gotham and Metropolis. And now in Duckburg at Dockside at the corner of Sump and Avenue. Or Precision Auto Salvage and Body Belts and Transmission Problems, too. Hey, you come on down where the President stands under every car all day long. That's the Bird of Prey garages serving the Tri-City area since 10 o'clock. Every morning. Hey, when do we close? Never more. Never more. I will stand upon my head. Till this bird is dead at the bird of prey, the bird of prey garage. And now it's time for Small Things Considered. Ooh, this is an itty-bitty one. Oh, yeah, you know, the tea party now has gotten to the point where they're eating their young. It didn't take long, right? The, the, the bunch of these guys in Florida insist that the real things, you know, that, that there are real tea party people and non-real Tea Party people. All right. And Tea Partier, I guess he thinks he's real. Tim McClellan, a political strategist based in Pompano Beach, is suing the Florida Tea Party uh, <laughs> to prevent Tea Party candidates from winning because he says these 20 official Tea Party candidates aren't. They're, they've got ties to the Democratic Party, and they are there as ringers to confuse voters. Oh. I'll be doing a junket to explain this to anybody who will listen. <laughs> uh, at least he knows what his limits are. He, uh, he said in an interview, his approach, now here's, here's what he's going to will be to brand the candidates he considers fake by convincing everyone to call them the TEA party. T-E-A, isn't that what it was? Oh, T-E-A. Instead of T, because you see on the ballot now, Tea Party people have T-E-A after them, but without any, any dashes. See, he wants T-E-A. The man is, it's, it's a fool's errand, right? But what's interesting is that the the Tea Party now actually thinks that there are real Tea Partiers and non-real Tea Partiers. You can tell the difference because what? Because Why? You know, it's not like they have a campaign. They, they they don't sign up. They don't pay dues. They just mill around and grumble. That's enough. Mm-hmm. Florida, too. I never thought Florida was filled with such weirdos as it has appeared to be. I thought they were just retired Jewish people from New York. Oh, not anymore. And, and, that's and an Cubans, old, you know? old, no, that's an old, old image now. No, now the, the wingnuts are going south. The wingnuts are going south. Oh, stand back from out from under them. Toyota Motors was required to halt production at a car factory in China for the second time in a month after workers at a supplier... Toyota Motors was required to halt production at a car factory in China for the second time in a month after workers at a supplier staged a walkout, the latest in a string of strikes that has hit Japanese car makers just as they look to increase production in the world's biggest auto market. Yes, the Chinese are striking. Isn't that amazing? The supplier, an auto parts manufacturer in southern China that makes sensors and electronic control parts, has stopped shipping parts to Toyota since workers started striking, demanding higher pay. And they're doing it all over. It's a wave of strikes that's hit Japanese automakers in China in the past weeks. First at Honda Motor, then at Toyota, both of which have sizable manufacturing operations in the country. Last week, Toyota closed a factory in the northeastern uh, Chinese city of Tianjin for one day after workers staged a strike at another parts supplier. Workers returned after Toyota agreed to review their wage levels. The walkouts at Toyota suppliers followed a prolonged strike at a parts manufacturer for Honda last month, which shut down all four of its assembly factories in China. Honda agreed to increase wages 24%, and the workers have now returned to work. Of course, that may be from a dollar seventy or two two ten or from whatever, but at least 24% up. Workers in China have become more vocal in demanding pay increases as the country's economy booms, pushing up inflation. 
higher investment and improved wages in poorer regions in western China, the result of government stimulus spending, has also deterred workers from migrating to industrial regions on the coast, pushing up labor costs. They don't want to go to those horrible cities and live like slaves. In Japan, the recent strikes have raised the prospect that the era of ultra-low wages in China is coming to an end, requiring companies that had looked to China for lower costs to reassess their production plans. Does that mean that they're going to take it to, like, penal colonies floating in the Indian Ocean? Are they going to take it to Mars? Despite the consequences for production costs, A rise in wages and standards of living in China is also welcome news for many Japanese companies who look to China's booming market to make up for shrinking sales at home as Japan's population ages and shrinks. Well, yeah, when you get old in Japan, you also shrink. You get smaller. So you get older and smaller. You get so small, you you can't even drive a car. The fact is you got this conundrum. Which is better for Toyota, that we pay them seven cents an hour so that we can sell this car ultra cheap around the world but can't sell any to China because there's nobody with any money except a few Communist Party officials? Or do we raise them somewhat near a living wage so they can buy our cars, which are now more expensive? I'm going to have to sit down and have a couple of sakis on that one. your soul and free your mind when you turn a corner take a look you see your life is an open book hold your son with all your love never forget where we all come from take a minute and see your ray of sun look in the mirror at your love and don't run we all have different Abilities and disabilities all right Ah. Don't let the love of a green bag buck Rule your life till your time is up When all your dirty money is gone You hope your light goes shining on Don't let science your soul and free your mind and when you turn a corner take a look you see your life is an open book we all have different abilities and disabilities all right Science be your God. 
Okay, the mantra of counterinsurgency, which we hear time and time again, and Time Magazine reminds us, is clear, hold, and build. You clear an area of insurgents or people that look like insurgents or are the cousins of insurgents. You hold the area, at least during the day. They usually own the night. And then you build. You help people build their little nation, their little village, their little whatever. Well, on the ground in Marja, remember Marja, we've been there for quite a while. Uh, this is like before we go into Kandahar, which we are supposed to go into now, but now we're going to go to in September. Uh, there's been a delay basically because things are going all wrong in Marja. There is this creeping notion that the Taliban, uh, that the Marines are trying to clear away, will never completely go away. Uh, quote, it depends on what you mean when you say clear, says a Marine officer, whose 180 Marines patrol some 50 square kilometers in northern Marja. 180 Marines for 50 square kilometers. Not a large idea and not a large area. And who, like other commanders, likens the enemy to vapor. They're obviously not gone, and they're not going to be gone, and I think that the ultimate challenge of counterinsurgency is to get the preponderance of individuals who might choose to fight, depending on the day, depending on what's best for them, convincing them that in the long run it's more beneficial for them not to fight. Now, okay, it, that's the counterinsurgency philosophy. Let me go over that. Just what it here we here we go. They're not going away, and here's what we got to do. Here's the ultimate challenge of counterinsurgency, right? We want to get the preponderance of individuals, whoever they are, who might choose to fight, might become insurgents, depending on the day when they're not tending the opium crop, depending on what's best for them, you know, whether they're going to have themselves beheaded by the Taliban or paid by the Americans, convincing them that in the long run it's more beneficial for them not to fight. So basically every... You know, ninth century Afghani is going to make a risk assessment. That's the U.S. military stated goal in Marja, as it is in other areas of Afghanistan's volatile south, to persuade the local population to side with the government of Afghanistan over the Taliban. Of course, we now hear that Karzai and Pakistan and a lot of other people are trying to get together with the Taliban. So it ain't working. But it's a goal easier said than carried out, and in districts like Marja, it may well be impossible. Time Magazine, when I grew up with Time Magazine, it was really right of center. It was Henry Luce, and they ruled the Republican world. And now here's Time Magazine telling us that the the operations in Marja, which are really kind of the bellwether of Afghanistan, you know, that getting it done may be impossible. To start with, Marja is a sw is just a swath of rural farmland, largely devoid of roads, electricity, and running water, where government never really existed. The area wasn't even defined as a district. In other words, Marja, as it, current, as it is currently labeled, didn't exist before the February offensive there. How are we going to invade that place if it doesn't have a name? Okay, we better name it, then let's invade it. Let's clear it, Hold it and build it. Bring in that government in a box. Analysts say the situation in Marja highlights a set of larger problems that extend beyond the ground-level Marine commander's control. There are all sorts of problems with this idea that foreigners can show up and suddenly impose a government from above. 
uh, says Alex Stick von Linschoten. Now, there's a name, a Kandahar-based researcher and analyst. There are all sorts of local structures that were there before, which are now being replaced by something new, he says, of the Marine-led Shuras and NATO-designed key leaders. Uh, Marines are running Shuras? No, well, wait a minute. They're just supposed to hit the beach. That's something that's a perennial feature of the foreign military intervention in southern Afghanistan. What I can make out from Marja is that it's a confused strategy at best, he says, and one that shouldn't necessarily be left to military commanders to interpret. Political things are being carried out more or less entirely by the U.S. military, which brings problems on its own. 18, 19, 20-year-old Marines are going in and nation-building in Marja? Give me a break. Well, Peter, I hear you have uh, more news from the great state of Illinois. Yeah, well, Mark Kirk is a representative there, a real goomba, and he is running for Senate, and he's the guy that's been making all these claims about who he is and what he's been doing, and more and more of them turning out to be not true. I was in the Army, but I wasn't. Yeah. I, I taught oh, school, but I didn't. More. Oh, it, oh, it, oh, it gets more? deeper, yeah. Oh, so, so he was having a debate with the guy that he's running against, and afterwards, he literally ran out of the hotel door rather than answer questions about a host of these recent reports that he repeatedly has exaggerated his experience and credentials. How these guys think they're getting away with it. And he wears elevator shoes, too. Yeah. Go the, right the Peter Cottontail moment happened at the downtown Hyatt Regency, I believe in Chicago, where about a thousand folks were on hand for this annual you know, debate. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, his opponent stopped for a couple of minutes to chat with reporters. He left quickly after speaking, but had a good reason, a fundraiser with Vice President Joe Biden. Okay. Lunch was then serve. Mr. Kirk arrived after lunch, coming in via a side door. He spoke for about 20 minutes, then walked down from the dais to have his picture taken with some bigwig. As soon as that was done, with a swarm of TV cameras and reporters moving toward the front of the ballroom, Mr. Kirk bolted for a back door. With immediate hot pursuit, he raced through a Hyatt kitchen and into the backseat of a black (laughs) SUV, which instantly (laughs) peeled away. Mr. Kirk, of course, has been under increasing scrutiny for falsely suggesting that he was named the Naval Intelligence Officer of the Year, commanded the Pentagon's war room, came under fire while on active duty, and declared he learned more about the impact of guns while teaching at a British prep school for a year at an upstate New York nursery school. What? What? In addition... (laughs) A Pentagon official said Mr. Kirk improperly engaged in political activities, media interviews, and tweets while deployed overseas. So he did none of these. He was not the Naval Intelligence Officer of the Year. He didn't command the Pentagon's war room. How could he possibly claim that? He's been what is it, we're watching West Wing? I wonder and, what he said for 20 minutes. And when he was on active duty, yeah. uh, uh, he said he came under fire. He didn't, probably just from his, from his uh, you know, uh, superiors for being such a... a Dick, and he declared that he learned about the impact of guns while teaching at a British prep school for a year at an upstate New York nursery school. Whatever that means, I don't know. That's but, incomprehensible, but we, we, they're all incomprehensible. Anyway, no wonder he was running away, right? Running away? Yeah. Running away from reporters? So he... Uh, d- d- a, this is a death wish this guy has. Yeah. What, what is it? What is it about exaggerating your experience? That, that anybody would think, you know, public records show how much you made, where your house is, and whether or not you were in the Marines. And, and whether or not long. you ran the war room for the Pentagon. That's like a yes or a no. That's not like, well, you know, I wonder, maybe he did. A lot of people do. They just kind of come and go and yeah, run that yeah, room. They come, yeah. The man, it's low self-esteem, you know, and I hope that he gets low voting numbers, too. Sometimes, Peter, I think we're just circling the drain. It goes in, it must come out. FUD's law. The show begins, the show ends, but not without some tangalation. Tangalize with Lipo. Here's a little one. Conversation among mountains. You ask why I live in these green mountains. I smile. Can't answer. I am completely at peace. A peach blossom sails past on the current. There are worlds beyond this one. Radio Free Oz. It's a it's a team effort. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, David Osmond, our 
co-host. Phil Fountain is head of the Oz Design Group. He's what makes the, the site so, so smart, so, I don't know, gorgeous. Tom Gedwillow makes sure that everything works on the web. Chaz Glass, he does the spreadsheets and keeps spreading. Dave Maloney, he records us. Bill uh, McIntyre, he produces us. And Scott Wilde keeps us alive in the world of social media. Coming again tomorrow.